Welcome to this one-on-one -on -one here on Teal Town USA. I'm Eric Curra. Thank you for joining me today. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button down below. It does go a long way. Don't forget to hit that notification bell when we go live after every single Sharks game, home and away, or we have a special guest like today. On this edition, we talked to a gentleman who has been around hockey in Northern California for quite a bit of time. But as the Winter Olympics continue in Beijing, uh, he would be one of the guys who planted a seed for hockey in China. And with that, we welcome Chris Collins to the program. Chris, how are you? Good, sir. Very good, Eric. How are you, man? Uh, doing well, doing well. It, it's uh, great to great to finally uh, chat with you uh, and chat some hockey with you, my friend. Uh, I know we've gone back and forth on Facebook for for quite some time. And uh, and uh, I thought this with everything going on with the Olympics and everything thought bring you in and uh, talk about uh, your experiences and uh, memories, uh, not just, you know, with the China sharks, but also uh, in NorCal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last time I knew you, I didn't have any wrinkles in my neck that we talked. So yeah, it's been a long time. I apologize. for those. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have any wrinkles at all. And I still had a decent amount of hair. You know? Well, you are a Sharks fan, so yeah, I'm surprised you do have hair left <laughs> after all the years that have gone on. But oh. uh, yeah, surely I'd be remiss in not uh, taking shots, right? So uh, no. anyway, yeah, so thank you for having me on, bud. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you, man. Um, so let's get into it. In fact, some of the longtime Sacramento viewers would know you from uh, FM 102 in Sacramento at the Morning yeah. Zoo. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I like okay what well, what happened next thing you know i i see you're you're the radio play by or radio commentator with uh dan rusinowski on on the radio yeah. like, how, how that that was a quick little left turn how, <laughs> how did that come about well you know uh i had been around hockey my whole life i'd uh done stick boy work with the seals uh when i was a kid um through summer camps and uh, you know, Ernie Hickey became a lifelong family friend and then uh, some of the other old boys that were there. And then when the Shamrocks came to the Cow Palace in 77, uh, Len Shapiro uh, basically said to me, hey, you know, if you want to come up and work, you can. And I'd originally scheduled to try to go up and maybe uh, work with uh, Roy Story, who, you know, clearly was one of the great play-by-play -play men of all time, and especially in hockey. He was a phenomenal you know, guy, he was later in life. And, uh, then the trainer they had an equipment guy was, uh, was a strange guy. It was a former world hockey association guy, San Diego, uh, was his home. Didn't like San Francisco and he just walked out. So they said, <laughs> well, can you be the equipment guy and help out the, the trainers? We're going to have part-time trainers. And I said, yeah, sure. So I ended up being basically, uh, you know, the Jack of all trades. I assisted the trainers. I was the equipment guy. I was a senior in high school at Santa Clara High School. Luckily, I was able to manipulate all my teachers. I gave them all season tickets. And I said, look, it, I may be on the road. I may not be here, but I'll do the work and I'll turn it in. And uh, it was an unbelievable season with that franchise. I mean, it was uh, anything and everything. I mean, Slapshot would be G-rated. To what I learned at 17 in the national on <laughs> the uh, Pacific Hockey League, right? And uh, prepared me well to be a uh, morning radio broadcaster. That's for sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, 
And to do that in your, you said your senior year of high school? Yeah, yeah, I was oh 17. Gosh. That, yeah. that's, that's crazy to do that. I mean, and yeah. to, to experience all that and be like, well, I'll, I, I might miss out on prom, but hey, I have to make sure I have these sticks ready to go for, for the Shamrocks. And, and if I'm not mistaken, was it the first or second year that the Shamrocks won it all? Uh, first year. We won it uh, the first year. It's funny you bring up prom because we were in a game in Long Beach. And I'll tell you, it was so bizarre, okay? I would go to school, get out at, at basically uh, after lunch, right? Because as a senior, you have like three classes or whatever. Right. I would race to the Cow Palace, load everything. We'd get on primarily 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. flights into Southern California or into San Diego, uh, race to the arenas, either the sports arena or both LA sports arena or uh, Long Beach or, or to San Diego. We'd set up, do the games. Then we'd race back afterwards because back then, all uh, the airlines, remember, were regulated by the government. So there were always flights going to San Francisco every hour. So I'd oh, be, we'd be back at 1, 1.30 in the morning. We'd go to the back to the Cal Palace, hang everything. Then I'd be home by 3.30 or 4, get up and go to school. And that was really, that's how I, uh, I existed during that time. It was just, it was insane, okay? But it was, uh, so anyway, in Long Beach one night, there's probably 10 people in the crowd. And this girl came up and she said she had to come with her brother on a Cub Scout trip or something. And she started talking to me during the game. Okay. So I'm like trying to watch the bench and throw towels at guys. And this girl's talking to me. And I said, Hey, if I take you to my senior prom, will you let me finish the game? She goes, sure. And that's what I brought to my senior prom with the girl that I met in Long Beach. Uh, and she was a really nice girl. She went on to UCLA and everything else. But anyway, you brought that up. I had to tell you that because I don't think I've ever told that story. That's how I met her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, working a Shamrocks game in Long Beach. What and, a story that was. And picking up prom dates in the middle of it. That Nice job, Slick. Yeah, yeah that was good. <laughs> that was Slick. That's where that name came from. That's like, yeah, that was very Slick on my part. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. Were, Funny stuff, man. Were, were you, I mean, how did you get into hockey? Was it just happened to be with the, just the uh, appeal of the seals or, or, or how did it come about? I, yeah. When I was young, um, I was in a, uh, a skating family, a roller skating family. My grandfather owned a real uh, uh, well-known rink in the Bay area for like 38 years. My mom was a world champion figure skater and then pro afterwards. And my mom actually, um, you know, at one time was featured on uh, the old ABC Wide World of Sports in 1961. She basically, it's credit for all pairs lifting in skating that then went over to ice. It started in roller. And uh, my sister was a national figure skating champion. So I was playing roller hockey before I played ice hockey. And then, yeah, then I got taken to a SEALs game in 68. Um that I remember that was the first NHL game. I guess I went to Seals games at the Cow Palace when I was really young. But, you know, that would have been running around the Cow Palace, right? You know, getting into trouble, not watching the game. So that was the first time. And then I played youth hockey and continued to play roller hockey at a, a pretty high level. Uh, and then, uh, lo and behold, the Seals left. Uh, and when the Shamrocks came, you know, I knew Len from his work uh, with the Seals and, you know, just said, hey, you know, it's my senior year of high school. You know, I want to have some fun. I only have three classes and, you know, one thing led to another. So, but I had been around the game the whole time. 
Um, and, you know, later on, obviously, I coached. I had a couple of uh, national championship teams that I coached. Um, and then, you know, my work in the NHL. And then I, you know, left the Sharks and went into scouting full time uh, and then went into a GM level and player personnel level. And that's when I went and got the the Asia deal. And, and I got the China deal. I had better offers than the Sharks. The, the Stars offered me five million dollars for myself personally to be that club to go to uh, uh to china with me and i turned them down and vancouver offered me money and so did the rangers uh and the islanders had already been there and screwed right. the situation up so yeah <laughs> it's sort of a weird situation but i went with what i knew and where my friends were you know greg jameson and uh you know i knew you know obviously willie and you know everybody there and i knew that you know i would probably scale well with those guys there because they knew me right they trusted me and you know i could you know, ask for things that I needed or lean on them if I needed them as well. So that's sort of the, the hockey background in a nutshell. Gotcha. No, it's, I've been curious as, as to, because of course we hear all well, it's not, they're non-traditional market. It's like hockey's yep. been around for some yep. time in the Bay area, especially the early incarnation with this, with the seals. And then when they came into the NHL and everything. So that's always a good look into yep. the past folks for it, for that. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you did, you, you did your number of years, you know, on the radio and then, and then with a TV on, on yeah, a couple of years on TV. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. um, what, what, what's one of the biggest moments in that time from, from that, obviously you were part of the, of the great 94 run that, uh, myself that among, was amazing. among others were, I'll never forget that, that, that year. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Calgary was uh, in in my, um, you know, year three, or I'm sorry, year four for us was interesting. Uh, my best friend, Nick Alexander, who my older son's named after, was getting married. Uh, and, you know, we I was the best man. And we, we just never thought we'd be in this situation. It was on a Sunday. I'll never forget. And we played game seven in Calgary. Oh, and it went into double OT and we won. And it was just a surreal thing, right? And everything went in slow motion because it was here again, another year. We had done this with this group of vets that we had, which they never should have broken the 93-94 team up. They screwed up in a major way. And it was because you had too many chiefs and not enough Indians making decisions in there, okay? And anyway, so I have to wake my, uh, my best friend up at 2.30 in the morning in <laughs> Calgary and say, hey, dude, uh, we're we're getting on a plane to go to Detroit. I'm not going to be at the wedding in the oh morning. Oh my gosh. So luckily uh, he coached at UCLA and was an assistant with the 49ers. He got Ricky Neuheisel, who was in the wedding party to stand in for me, who's an old friend and be the best man. But I'll never forget. We finally got back to the, Danny and I did back to the hotel. And I'm guessing, you know, it was like a quarter to one. And there was nothing open. And they said, well, we brought in dinner and everything back to the hotel. So go down and eat. And we went into that, uh, into this uh, room at this hotel, the Calgary Weston, where everybody used to stay. And sitting by himself in there was Ray Whitney. So you know, <laughs> we all knew, obviously, I mean, we all traveled together. So, you know, we didn't think anything of it. We went and sat down, gave him his space. And he's like, hey, Slick, hey, Danny, you guys can sit near me. So we just sat there. No one said a thing for 25 minutes he just sort of sat there and ate and then Wits got up and I said hey Wits thanks man that means an extra seven games I get paid 
So I appreciate it. So like, and he started laughing and he walked out, but you know, it's one of those surreal moments that, um, you know, only happen when special things happen. Right. It was just, and if you knew the story of which, you know, um, coaches, you know, they didn't like him. The scouts thought he was too small. The coaches thought he, he wasn't tough enough, this and that, and this and that. Well, guess what? They forgot one thing is that he knew how to play the game. And if you, you let him play enough, he was going to do way more better things. You'll pardon the butchering of the language than he was doing bad things. And that's why Witts had a long career. And that's why he was an all-star and major junior and why he's wearing a cup ring and he contributed everywhere he went. It just took the game to modify. Okay. To understand his talent. Uh, just uh, fascinating. Okay. Fascinating how you know players are perceived and that was why I went over to the scouting side and went into the development side because that's where my strengths were as well and and to me that's that's what lights my fire is being able to you know get through it find those athletes or notice athletes and know you know what if this kid stays where he's going people are going to say whoops we missed and you know I've been lucky to work with kids now that have been drafted work hand to hand with kids who were drafted you know, help uh, reclamation projects. Also tell other kids, you know, hey, you know, this is what it takes. You don't do it. You're not going to get there. And those are all things that you can't really do when you broadcast, right? Because broadcast, there's a, a set of expectations cognitively to the ears or to the picture that's told. And, you know, it's real difficult, you know, to, to, to share and build in those elements. And that's why I'm glad I made the steps that I did. Yeah, it's and getting back to Whitney, who's one of my favorite players of all time yeah, because great player, man. He he was awesome. He had the great skill set and, and yep. speed and everything. I, around yep. that time, that was when everybody was like, "Oh, we got to get these big, tall guys." Yeah, that's right. I mean, no, yeah. no disrespect to Victor Kozlov or anybody. No, not at all. But but that's right. but all these guys were just you know looking for for size and everything and. and I, I think right now would have been a great time for wits to, to be in the NHL, because I think you see more of the speedier yep. kind of player, but he carved a yep. way around it after he, he left San Jose, which, you know, which was great part. And for that matter, great job, you know, for other scouts finding him. So, uh, pedigree yeah, brother. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just, you know, you can't just look for the status quo or the, or the hip thing that goes on. No, so. no, look at it. I mean, I know you were the president of the Tamo Rihi RV fan club <laughs> and he let you down, but uh, no, it, <laughs> you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pedigree's a big deal. You know, Wits and Floyd, his dad, he was the emergency third netminder for the Oilers at their practices all those years. And Wits was a sick boy there and came up, you know, and, and was around all those championship teams. He wasn't stupid. He right. took that all in. He was a, uh, you know, he was a, a, an MVP candidate in the Western Hockey League, which at one time was the best hockey league in the world, better yeah. even than the NHL. There was so much competition. It was an amazing league to be around. OK, so, I mean, th- th- this is not a surprise to some of us. Uh, and you're right about one thing. The game em- eventually catches up to what is good. And that's what's great about hockey, because it can frustrate you. But in the end, the game will always catch up to greatness. And we see that now in much quicker intervals than we used to see it. Now it's, it's amazing how it, it turns on a dime, but this is because the world's changed because 
athletes are bigger, they're faster, they're quicker, they're stronger. Uh, you know, there's, there's variable reasons as to why uh, money plays a large part, right? I mean, now the money is so astronomical that if you're not that type player, you don't last because you have to, to even be relevant. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such a fascinating game. It's the things that I, I, I just love uh, about the game that keep me passionate about it. Yeah, it's it's that passion that, that I think more than any other sport, uh, hockey has that passion that just resonates from from young to to a little bit yeah. older than young, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah. Older than me. That's pretty old. <laughs> that's not <sighs> what I'm getting at. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so after all that, how, so how did the whole China sharks thing, uh, come into play? Okay. You, you mentioned, you mentioned that Dallas and Vancouver were interested, of course, yeah, that's, that's, no, no offense to the Islanders, but they screwed that up. But I mean, what, what, how did it all come about? It came about in 2005. Uh, I met a sound expert who was working on 4d audio at the time and uh when i left the sharks and came to seattle where i lived for 10 years i also started a company called digicast and we were the first major streaming company 24 7 we streamed at one time i had every major sports league virtually in the world you know everything from uh, uh from ufc to uh the english premier league i mean we were streaming and showing games before you guys probably even knew that you could stream on a phone we were doing all of it and Microsoft, I was a gold level provider for them. So Windows Media got a lot of my content that I was producing. Anyway, so we were looking for audio. I was looking for audio to enhance uh, because, you know, cognitively the pictures, you know, because of bandwidth weren't there at that time. We, we were streaming the video, but, you know, you had to have uh, T1 lines, you know, to even go and, and make it relevant to where you would want to do this nonstop. So I had a bit of the, the future and vision in my mind. I had very high-end advisors that were sort of leading me where we needed to go. So I meet with this guy and he said, Hey, uh, do you know anything about hockey? And I go, well, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) This guy doesn't know who I am. And he goes, well, uh, I do consulting work for the Chinese government and uh, they need somebody to help them get their programs together. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd talk to him. Well, sure enough, two weeks later, I get a call from person representing the Chinese Ice Hockey Association, and they want to fly to San Francisco and meet with me. And, uh, you know, that took about uh, a year of negotiating back and forth. And then, in know, six, after the word got out, um, through it, first and foremost, the NBA, because that's who I wanted to focus on, because right. I knew they had a massive audience in China. The NBA told me, no, stay with hockey, because, you know, <laughs> we're already at the levels we need to be at. So, I did, and word got out, and I saw Greg Jamison one night in Vancouver, um, up there seeing Danny and Randy, and I was still living in Seattle, and he said, I heard a rumor, and I said, yeah, and he said, well, we're interested, and we, you know, put the deal together in 06, and then uh, we oversaw the uh, program the first year. It was a disaster. The second year, we put uh, Derek Eisler in, a former assistant coach, and a guy that was running the the Sharks uh, uh, youth program junior sharks and uh we got our hands on it it was still a disaster and then the third year i brought in you know five x nhl guys including wade flaherty and mm-hmm. steve mckenna and a number of guys and you know we flipped the program on its head um we're competitive every game and long and short of it is is that after 
the, the uh, Soviet Union broke up, Chinese hockey, just like Polish hockey, just like, quote unquote, East German hockey before it became one Germany again. Uh, a lot of these communist supported countries, all of their hockey programs fell apart because the Soviets were good at exporting their type of hockey. And the Chinese were no exception. For many years, they were a Division One Group B, Group A hybrid back and forth. And they had good players. But after the Soviet Union went away in 89, 90, the Chinese fell on hard times. And, it, you know, it hasn't changed. It's, uh, you know, we, we ramped it back up, but my players got older. And in the system there, they vanquished them all out. And what you'll see now are half the team in the Olympics uh, this year in China. I worked with half those kids when they were U18 national team players. And I spent a lot of time working with them. There's a couple of U20s I worked with. But the rest are, you know, what I proposed to do back in 2007, which was to bring over a number of ex-NHL guys, mm -hmm. give them sponsorships, pay them big money for the sponsorships, and then let them have dual, special dual citizenship so that China, when the Olympics finally came, they'd be ready to compete and actually play in games where maybe it's a seven to five game or a four to one game instead of what would have happened had the NHL been in here this year. I mean, it would have been... 25 and 30 and 40 to nothing. They, right. they would have been slaughtered, okay? And, and it would have been an ongoing, an ongoing disaster situation, which um, in China wouldn't have bode well for anybody because uh, uh, the, the spectators are, are very impatient when a Chinese program is, um, when it's humiliated, or worse, when the athletes don't perform up to standard, the fans can be brutal. So it remains to be seen. I'm like you, waiting to watch tomorrow night, the first game they play uh, the U.S. I think then they get Canada, and it'll be interesting, mm -hmm. even with the U.S. being a primarily college program. Um, and then uh, they're actually in the Canadian team, two kids that I worked with in youth hockey and got them both drafted in major junior that are on the Canadian Olympic team. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play this. If they, you know, get a five, six, seven goal lead and let up, and just dump pucks in, you know, and try not to humiliate the home team. It, it just, it never should have been. They never should have been in the Olympics. They're not qualified for the Olympics. The program's not there yet. The, the, the rule I have, and it was from day one in 2005 with the Chinese, which was we had two things. The code name for our project was Yao Ming on ice. Okay. That was the code name for it. <laughs> Second of all, Chinese hockey will only be relevant when the other 850 million people in China that don't know about Bing Cho, that don't know about hockey, finally learn about it and then get skates on and or visit a ring. Then it will become relevant. And so far, they haven't been able to do that because of politics, because of the party, because of what I call deadbeats that hang around and have these jobs. That's who I dealt with in my years there. I had to just force these people away from the program, get away from us, from stealing, okay, which was a big problem, you know, uh, uh, people uh, falsely representing us that had nothing to do with us because the program was in such disarray. So we put that back together and, and gave it, um, we gave it an organization, as I like to say, and we gave it a, a fluidity and a purpose. And, um, you know, the Olympics are a byproduct, but it's just a shame. I, I, you know, the only grace is the NHL's not there. Because if they had been there, it'd be an absolute disaster of untold proportions. So, Maybe there's something positive, but, you know, like I said, uh, it's going to take a while.
so uh so a couple of things here so one uh who who uh are or who's in the olympics that you've kind of helped grow into it uh and then two uh is is there is there uh is there a thought about well it'd be tough now just especially with everything politically wise but would you would you want to go back and see if there can be resurrected yes of course i've already got uh, a rink building company and before the pandemic we were ready to announce uh, multiple school districts in three different provinces we were going to be building uh, uh, arenas on the school grounds, which in, in China, that's where the power base is in the educational system, where you can go and actually do what you would consider democratically based kinds of deals. Okay. So that's one that's been in place for me for a long time. Uh, two, you know, what I, would we want to work? Yes. I've already got an array of former NHL players and also top junior talent developers that I would bring over that I've worked with for years from the first time I left the Sharks. So to answer your questions, yes. The, the other question you asked um, concerning, um, you know, who the players are, I don't have the roster in front of me, but um, there are at least eight that will see ice time in the first game tonight. I think there's probably two or three more that are on the reserve uh, and or maybe even rostered now. I've got to look, but won't probably see a lot of ice time. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them. I know they're excited about it. Uh, you know, they were 16, 17, a couple of them were 13 and 14 playing on the U18, uh, national team, but, um, they're good kids. They're way better than the other kids were at their age during their time. And that's because the Russians who approached myself and Greg Jamison as far back as 2007, 2008, and wanted us to own and operate a KHL team out of Beijing, which obviously we declined because we were trying to buy the Coyotes at that time uh, and, you know, own an NHL team. We couldn't do both, but the Russians have, have gone in and have done a good job, okay? They've, they've done a great job expanding the curve, but the problem is the curve is so small and the numbers are so small. The only way you're going to grow the curve is you have to get the masses to push in like they do with basketball naturally because that was Mao's favorite sport and Mao made sure that after the revolution there were basketball hoops everywhere okay and we see now you know they have a competitive national league Americans go over and play in pro basketball there but hockey hasn't gotten there yet um it will um and I can give you some updates after the first couple of games I'll, I'll send you some names of the kids that we worked with and uh, obviously I'm going to tape it and see if I can watch them. I'll, I'll let you know what I think, but you know, I'm happy for them, you know, but for you and for me, it's different, right? We see it as a global situation. We see what the Olympics really are. We know we're Americans for them. It's different. Okay. You know, three quarters of the Chinese have never been out of their own provinces, let alone their own major city. Like, you know, it, it would be like, you know, you or I going to the, the South pole, Okay, for a visit for a lot of them. So, you know, this is a huge deal from within for them. Okay, to represent, they're not as uh, global as you and I would be comfortably talking about these things. So, it's a whole different mentality. You know how and why they're doing this, and uh, it, it, you know, it's going to be interesting. Post Olympics are going to be very interesting, and yes. Um, I still have my hands there, but you know, obviously with the pandemic and the Olympics, 
I've taken a back seat because there's a lot of politics going on and there's going to be a lot of bloodletting after the Olympics. Just trust me on that. Yeah, that's going to be a rough one. But uh, like like you said, I think there's a little bit of of pride and being proud of of having helping those those kids, you know, develop into what's going to happen in the next, you know, day or two, which, you know, stick taps to you, my friend, and for for growing the game. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I feel very lucky. And I love the Chinese people. I love China. So, I mean, I don't have the politics are one thing. I worked in politics my whole life. I've run campaigns, all parties. You know, I've worked with people, different governors. You know, I know what politics are. And, you know, with the Chinese, I have that attitude. And it's been good because they like the fact that I don't get hung up on this stuff. You know, I'm over there to help people and let's get to know each other better. And, you know, let's work for the better common good. And doesn't mean I didn't fight with you know or protect my grounds but you know the the chinese were good about that they respected that you know even if maybe we didn't like each other personally certain people we at least respected each other because they knew that you know i wanted what was right and it's a big difference absolutely cool yep. well i appreciate you bud uh you know i like i said this has been a long time coming chatting with you uh you know going through your t- your timeline of of you know doing doing what you've done with the seals shamrocks sharks you know uh and then doing with this with the china sharks uh i thought it'd be a really cool story to share uh at this time so uh chris collins my friend thank you very much as always and uh take care thanks brother i appreciate it man all the best thank you you too (laughs) 